Hello, welcome to Social Evolution. This is Michael Porcelli, and I'm here with my good friends. Max Borders. Good to be with you, Michael. Yeah, man. It's good to be with you, too. Fall is in the air, and, you know, people are in Washington, D.C. talking about whatever the revelations of the Facebook files from Wall Street Journal, and, I don't know, there's been almost like this, like... Uh, <laughs> Rep news reporting about other news reporting or the media talking about itself, which is not really a new thing, but it sort of has a new flavor in our times. And I think especially it's really ramped up since around the 2016 election. But, you know, definitely people have there have been moral panics in the air before and there's been, you know, divisive journalism in history before. But it seems like this generation's version of it is going into uh, possibly new territory, but like this idea that you know, oh, we have these smartphones or there are these AI algorithms and there's news feeds and like it's it's hacking our brains and our neurology. It's it's worse than it's been before. Like it's it's like smoking or something like this. It's undermining <laughs> democracy. It's whatever. Like it's a big thing. <laughs> Dopamine hits, limbic hijacking. Yeah. All of the all of these different, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the Netflix documentary, what was it called? The Social Dilemma. Dilemma, Got yeah. two, I think it got two Emmys. It was awarded that earlier this year. Oh. Yep, and uh, yeah. so people are talking about that documentary still in light of the Facebook files revelations, but I don't want to just specifically focus on that documentary or Facebook, although we, we're going to not avoid, <laughs> can't avoid talking about those two things, but the larger topic in general I think is very interesting because it does talk about the mind and artificial intelligence. And it definitely talks, of, it touches on topics we talk about here at social evolution, which is like, well, what's the evolution of our institutions and our technologies and how that affects our policies and how it affects where society is going. And let's get into it. I know you have some opinions, Max, where do you want to start? Well, I know you do as well, but I, I'll, I'll take a stab. Yeah. I think the best place to start the conversation is to think about any given person who is a user of social media. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, we have this idea that, uh, for example, uh, you know, Facebook, because it's the big dog gets the, the, the most because there's billions of people on, on Facebook. Yep. But let's be honest, you know, some of the conversations around social media really aren't about Facebook at all. Uh, for example, with young girls, uh, teens, for example, they're you know, concerned about the mental health of young young women. Mm -hmm. We also know that only 30 percent of teenagers actually even use Facebook. Most of them use TikTok or something else. Instagram. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, Facebook owns Instagram and, yep. and a lot of these other uh, social media platforms. But it's not clear that they all function the same or have the same effect. So we have to be very careful in parsing those distinctions. You know, some of them are dynamics that have to do with social dynamics, yep. bringing out the best or worst in people. Mm -hmm. Some of them might be what we what we might call uh, availability heuristics, which is you find you find something wrong that happens on social media and you you magnify it and make it a cri into a crisis. Mm, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I have some concerns that that's actually happened, that yep. that that uh, it's been made into a crisis. You know, there is this this temptation to make anything that's a, a, a social problem or a minor problem or something happens over here, or over there, extrapolating that into being a crisis worthy of the name. So I'm 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 concerned about those things. But I want to I want to start with 
the human mind, the yeah. human brain, the okay. individual user. Okay. And the reason I want to do that is to 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 ask the question: Are we are we very much like Skinner rats at the disposal of sophisticated asymmetrical AI, or are we much more? Uh, do we have more agency than that? Are we a little bit more reflective? And if not, who in society is more reflective than that, and who in society is not? I want to acknowledge the existence, for example, of filter mm-hmm. bubbles, mm-hmm. Uh, that people tend to watch or consume content that they like or that they find interesting and that comports with their conceptions of the good. Some people would say this is a bad thing. Other would, people would say it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that we're not as much or that not everyone is as much in possession of their psychology as they think they are. And that there is an asymmetrical relationship with big tech where big tech has learned to hack our brains to such a degree that they can make money. And this keeps us in filter bubbles. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of issues here, but let's get started with that. What do you think? Well, I think it's kind of I'm kind of uh, think this is a really cool place to start. I mean, we got to start somewhere. And I imagine we we pull on the string somewhere and it's going to lead to the other things. And maybe we're going to get to the politics later, which is totally fine. I. I do generally, and, and I'd be happy to really lay out all of the, the at least the key points that I think um, I share, you know, with this analysis. I mean, I do, whether- With, with which analysis? That it's a with... problem, right? That it, Maybe I, ha- okay. I don't quite share the, you know, when, when I think about the social dilemma, like I sort of think that it was actually- using some of the very techniques it was criticizing to kind of create a like there's a weird feedback loop even like and it's spreading on social media and like netflix has a recommendation engine but they're the ones that are like producing the fucking thing and it's like okay so there's a little some that irony is not lost on me that it's kind of exploiting some of the very kind of whatever the parts of ourselves that are susceptible to moral panics or to propaganda in order to sell a story about you know, propaganda being bad for us, <laughs> algorithms being bad for us. But but there is a way, you know, whether I agree with the policy recommendations or whether I agree with the the degree to which it's a problem, I do basically buy into it's a problem. And I can share with you why I think so and why I think it's potentially a unique moment uh or maybe it's some of the stuff that you know whatever advertisers and mass media people discovered like whether it was you know bernays back in the you know this is sigmund freud's Protégé. cousin or nephew yeah. oh or yeah something. that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah he was yeah, he was connected he, to freud in some way and he was uh right. yeah he's he's ironically created propaganda the, the sort of a jewish connection to to Herr Sigmund, and his work was appropriated by the Nazis. Now, if that's not ironic, but yeah, Edward Bernays, he was the, he, the author of propaganda and saw how to create mass movements through demagogic means. It's pretty interesting stuff, even for back in those days. Totally. Well, and that, that is a perfect example of, you know, how the, whatever the, the, the way that we shape our tools and our tools shape us kind of a thing. And all of this kind of media studies that came out of the post-war mid-20th century, whether it was, you know, critical theorists or, you know, Noam Chomsky or, you know, uh, 
these things seem, at least at some level, to be obviously happening, right? Like the the messaging, the the one to many sort of broadcasting. I mean, FDR and his fireside chats, or you know, and and as as long as there has been this mass media thing, I think there has been a bit of a quasi, you know, moralizing about, oh no, and now we're ruined, right? Like TV is going to turn you into a, your mind is going to turn into jello, right? I mean, this, I remember this from mm-hmm. or growing up and stuff like this. And, and there is a way the, the doomsayers always seem to be underestimating our ability to kind of adapt to a new environment. And I think this is perhaps where the social dilemma, you know, is just a one trick or a single note sort of critique but but I do think I do think deep learning machine learning algorithms that companies like Google, Amazon and Facebook have are very very powerful. I do believe to some degree uh, behavioral conditioning insights are work. Right? I don't think I don't think we're black blank slates maybe like you know the the early behaviorists thought we were like Skinner, but I I do think I mean, even if you buy that we're not blank slates and we do have evolutionary propensities, like evolutionary psychology says, those things can be exploited, right? You can, right? This is the whole kind of like, well, we have a fat tooth and a sweet tooth because whatever, fat and sugar, we're rare in the evolutionary environment, but like, and like they're super duper delicious. And now we have a, a an environment of hyper stimuli where we can just give you as much fat and sugar as you want. You can eat Twinkies all day and, mm-hmm. and like you're going to bloat out. So like that. The fact that these things like junk food are exploiting kind of like our whatever ancient physiology, I think there is an equivalent of that. Well, and and, and here's the thing I agree with you about when it comes to this stuff is is uh, wh- whether it comes to fatty foods and junky foods. And I, I think fatty foods get is problematic. It's what kind of fats you get. But let's just talk about sugar and mm-hmm. carbohydrates as being you're getting way too mm-hmm. much of this stuff in, in the environment we have now. And yep. we've seen a pushback against that. We've seen, you know, there was there were there was 30, 40 years of the idea of a high carbohydrate, low fat diet as being the key to heart health. I don't know if you remember yep. that, but that was I overturned do. by people who were basically networking together, talking to each other and came up with an alternative, which is stuff like, you know, uh, Atkins, paleo uh, or the evolutionary fitness diets, all of which are very similar. Uh, they rely on, you know keto ketogenesis uh, ketogenic diet mm-hmm. which is you know mm-hmm. basically reduction of sugar and carbohydrates below a certain threshold so that you can you, you know you don't get these insulin spikes in your body for example right and you and, and you burn fat for fuel instead of storing you, it forever. exactly exactly and so what we what we saw was the overturning of 30 years because of this decentralized you know conversations people had and it really didn't come out of of the medical profession per se, it was kind of from the fringe and eventually it started to take over. But what's interesting about some of these diets, these, these, these healthier diets is they are much more followed by, by elites, right? Uh-huh. So there could be the case that it's easier to snooker with social media algorithms, um, people uh, who, who aren't as high Q and that sounds elitist, but it, you know, we have to acknowledge that I bet you dollars to donuts, no pun intended, that if you were to track the uh, the way people eat in society, it would follow roughly along socioeconomic lines, but socioeconomic lines also tend to follow 
along cognitive elite lines. So you'll find that cognitive eat, mm-hmm. elites tend to eat better and healthier foods, mm-hmm. and and poorer people who tend to not be cognitive elites are are open to to more to junk food, mm-hmm. and and everything in between is is quite questionable. But yep. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to point any arrow of causation with this because I'm not prepared to do that, and uh, we need to do some serious study and investigation of that. But the point is, mm-hmm. it there is a dr- grain of truth to the idea that certain people are more susceptible to these kind of algorithms than other. They're more credulous. They're more accepting of, let's say, a polluted information or bad information or bullshit. Yep. And you know, so if you were to do a cross section of, of, of say, QAnon folks. Uh, you might find that only the ones that are the cognitive lead are the ones who are able to come up, spin the great stories, and then the rest of, of that group is is quite credulous. Um, mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, I agree with you. The thing about grains of truth, though, is whenever you have a grain of truth, and I think that the social dilemma as a as – a, let's use that as an exemplar for this position that there's this massive problem um, with social media yeah. – um, Yep. Diagnosing the problem becomes difficult, and also finding what's problematic and what into what degree. And in that, I think that's might be where you and I disagree, and we'll have to figure that out. Yep. yep. So let let me just lay out the case as the way the way that I see it, what I've kind of been persuaded by, because I think there's a there's a, a number of different parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like one is um, something that is really kind of the old school whatever you know pr madmen advertisers propagandists like this idea that you can shape messaging in a more persuasive way right by like you know whatever this kind of (laughs) propaganda prowess or something like that right Mm -hmm. i think that has been supercharged in a way now this is kind of on the technical side just let's just say like a b split testing or like getting stats on uh click-through rates big data so we're in a we're in a moment where uh, the the folks that, you know, like Mad Men folks, you know, can get way shorter feedback loops to actually correct for and optimize their messaging for more effectiveness or more click through or more upsell, you know, like rates and this sort of thing. And those tools are provided by these platforms like Amazon, Facebook and Google that um, have these very, very elaborate algorithms they have ad placement algorithms they have an ad auctioning kind of thing and those things are these huge black boxes and the truth is like this is my computer science side speaking like these they are they're black boxes even to the engineers that build them right these these deep learning machine learning style of uh ai coding stuff which we talked about on our ai episode like these things do these mass statistical procedures, but like they misfire in ways that are often surprising and nobody really knows why, um, but they don't know. Um, even the engineers that build them don't totally understand what's going on inside these kind of like, you know, there's like a, you know, 120 something billion parameters in GPT-3. And I don't know if you saw Microsoft just came out with another one. It was like 500 billion parameters just like yesterday or couple days ago but like these things are these massively complicated things that really uh 
outperform, you might say, or like now come on there, Michael Porcelli. First of all, do we think do, do things do do things better than certain humans do? Yeah, okay, like, I got you. But go playing chess, playing all these things. These things could be cranked in a certain way that, like, yep, any single human mind will be defeated by the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, okay, but. First of all, it's not clear. I mean, I guess at some point in the future, these algorithms can employ GPT-3 in the next iteration. Maybe it's four. But it's not clear to me that what we're talking about is that powerful. Um, just just scrolling through YouTube myself, I don't find it to be very bright or knowledgeable about what I like, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If we're talking about uh, sort of godlike supercomputers, uh, whatever I'm using doesn't doesn't serve up any <laughs> doesn't serve up anything except stuff based on the habits and patterns of what I happened to click on before, whether that be because someone shared something with me or uh, because I took an interest in something and it tries to come up with an amalgamation of what I like. Um, it's not particularly good at it. Sometimes it's great, yeah. you know. Um, I liked, yeah. for example, to watch uh, videos, uh, reaction videos of my favorite bands where somebody hears a song that I like a lot for the first time and get their reaction to it. I'm a sucker for that yeah. stuff. So that comes up in the feeds and and I and it and it feeds a guilty pleasure of mine. And I, I don't mind that, especially at times when I'm, you know, I have some downtime. But yeah. other than that, I get a lot of stuff where I'm like, this is not interesting to me. How how could you possibly think this? And it makes, cer- I think, certain assumptions about other things I watch to, to serve up things, to try things, and maybe the algorithms imp- improve over time. But at the end of the day, I, I, I'm just skeptical of this point that these supercomputers are able to somehow learn our, you know, our, create these psychographs that are just so powerful that we are, we, we must submit to them. Yes. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, this is, this is sort of like the matter of degree. And it's like, we can talk about, you know, as compared to some godlike supercomputer of the future that will like, you know, essentially <laughs> treat you like a puppet, like a matrix. You're just plugged into a thing in some vat of liquid or goo or whatever. Or, <laughs> you know, are we comparing it to whatever it was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 15 years ago? And how much different is it from then till now? And I mean, and there's technical reasons and algorithms and AI, like why AI is sort of like overhyped which is a whole other discussion we talked about in ai but back to the topic at hand if i just review my own personal history first of all i i i share with you the same thing i'm like oh look at this algorithm thinks i'm gonna like this that's lame or this algorithm doesn't realize i actually clicked through and bought that product and it's still advertising it to me i'm like but it doesn't know i fucking bought it right or these sorts of things from and i also like it like there's some ways like i sit back and go like oh i want a recommendation engine to kind of quasi read my mind and tell me about things I'm going to like because oftentimes I do get products or videos or or whatever that I'm like I am interested in finding out more about this kind of stuff that's cool let me find out more I want to know more so there's a way it's it is providing a service that I like and there is a way that it does stupid things sometimes but if I if I think back to the way the internet was let's just say like pre social media Pre-Facebook iPhone, let's just say like around this 2008, 9, 10 period of time, like the internet to me felt more expansive. Like I had to go kind of get stuff that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of like get my RSS newsreader to go 
fetch the things that I wanted. Right. But I sort of felt a little bit more like I was the conductor of like my internet experience. And I do kind of remember feeling like a little claustrophobic kind of going through that period. Like if I kind of pop out and around 2011, 12, 13, I'm like, oh, the internet feels a little like, why do I not go to the places I used to go? Or why do I not have a newsreader anymore? Like, you know, Google got rid of their newsreader. Now I'm sort of like, oh, it's just these this feed that is like, there is a way I I did feel like I had to uh, level up, so to speak. I mean, maybe there's like me playing the big, you know, chess playing computer in the sky, kind of like, all right, I got to fucking level up to like, to fight back against this kind of like claustrophobic feeling I'm getting on the internet, which is something that I feel like I have some amount of capacity to do. I sort of miss when it was easier to kind of go get what I wanted instead of having much of shit shoved in my face. But on the other hand, I do feel like, all right, like, but, there's a but whole... Michael, you're not one of those poor yeah. rubes that has to vote or the, or that we have to tolerate the fact that they do vote. So you're <laughs> able to level up and, and sort of fight back cognitively against this, but we're talking about asymmetrical warfare with supercomputers and, and you might be winning right now, but in the future you might not. And by the way, the rest of America isn't, in fact, the rest of the world isn't. They're completely subject to these massive supercomputers that that turn them into zombies that follow in these filter bubbles. And they can't they don't they no longer have any agency or even any virtue. I mean, this is this is a caricature of a certain kind of argument. Yes. Which I this is the moral panic version. And like if you want to critique that style of narrative, I'm I'm right there with you. Like, I mean, this idea that we're sort of like doomed to the forces that are greater than us and like we should i don't know appeal to some <laughs> giant state in the sky or something that's going to come save us is, is this is where that goes and i'm well, with we, you on we, that and, i don't know if you're and ready we need to, to turn to that, that in a moment or, we should definitely turn to that yes, in a moment yeah. but and, yeah. and i was being a little bit of a smart ass in that moment but yes but let's play devil's advocate for a moment let's find this let's steel man that okay okay that position i was just aping I want us to try yeah. to. I mean, that's what I've been trying. That's what I've been trying to do so yeah, yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. ready to keep going. All right, yeah, carry let's keep on. Going. Then. It's definitely not lost on me that like this. There's been a whole cottage industry of like how to make your shit more viral, right? Like I, I could even, you know, I I know YouTubers or other social media influencers who've gotten really really good at like how do you craft the tweet that's going to go viral, or how do you craft the 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 still image headline like on your on your YouTube video that's the one that comes up in the search results, like so that it's more likely to go viral. And like you can go out and find books. I think it one of the funniest ones is um have you heard of Near Eyal Near Eyal? He he wrote a book called Hooked, which was like to teach people how to make products more addictive. And then he wrote another book called Indistractable, which is to teach consumers how to not be overtaken by addictive products. It's kind of funny. He's like, he's like made a, a a career out of playing both sides of the industry of this. But I bring him up, you know, partly for the irony, but partly for like his first book is not the only one, right? I mean, this is a, a whole way that people have kind of gotten into this mindset, you know, and, and I know people who are like, 
yeah, you know, well, the content of my videos is really a bit more educational and nuanced, but like, I feel like I want people to get reached. So I, I slap this hyper whatever on my YouTube video and I get more clicks. And, you know, that's kind of part of the price I pay to just get more eyeballs exposed to the thing. So this feeling of like people kind of being nudged to bring in, you know, the Thaler Sustine idea mm -hmm. that like the there is these slight and you're either kind of following the nudges without even realizing it or you are like kind of becoming aware of the nudges and going like i guess i'll do this and and i think it has effect like i don't know what your opinion of whatever the new york times of yesteryear was but you know i do think new york times itself has become more clickbaity in this environment just to fucking compete with other you know outlets that are totally willing to be as as clickbaity as they want to be right it's like you know national Enquirer and new york times are kind of like competing head to head for like spots on your news feed or you know what i mean it's like okay it, it has affected the way even that the shit gets reported it, ha it it's not just that it's addictive to the consumer it's actually affected the way that the stories lead and they lead with more sensationalism like more gossipy more opinion more divisive more polarizing these are things that get the click through. yeah but that's not, this is not just happening in it, i'm sure that this is of course the case people yes people click on the sensational and so there is an arms race to make titles more sensational that is one certainly one aspect we've all noticed it it's happened and I think there's a, a a massive stratum of people who are like, wow, the 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 more clickbaity it is, the less likely I am to click because come on, you know, and you're just like, I, I'm just not yeah. going to to play this game today. Right. Yep. And then other times you're like, OK, let's see what you got. And then oftentimes there's no payoff. There's no punchline. You're just like, wow, that was just to get me to click. And I'm so disappointed in the result. Yep. Uh, so, you know. But let me just uh, describe for a moment another phenomenon, which is the um, NPR. Yeah. NPR, it has some pieces, you know, and those pieces are obviously, uh, you know, more, more or less clickbaity. But I used to think that in NPR, let's say NPR circa 2010, okay, was pretty reflective. It was obviously left of center. But uh, but in terms of its clickbaitiness, it, it it wasn't as much. And they I thought they were master propagandists back then because they were so careful in the way they presented their bias. And it was really good. Yeah. Now they just don't make any pretense about that. And we're talking radio. We're not talking about something that you yeah. get with an algorithm. It's something that you get by choice. I literally have to get in the car and put it on where I am in Austin. You know, this certain certain number. And yeah. choose to listen to NPR. And it, and let me tell you, from my perspective, as someone who is, is um, uh, if you are on, on the crude left-right spectrum, I'm a centrist, okay? I'm not on the crude left-right mm -hmm. spectrum, but most people are, so let's just call me a centrist. I mm -hmm. can see that it leans left, and I can see that it leans left back then, and I can see that it leans way the hell left now, right? As a centrist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so... You know, there's there is the some of this is give the people what they want to survive, which is one of the critiques of this being profit driven. OK. Yep. And so in fairness to this position, whether you think it's hyperbolic or not, 
uh, to steel man the view is that there's a lot of this that is driven by revenue and excessive costs. These organizations are competing and they have to survive. Yeah. And then we have to ask, well, what is the alternative? You know, um, there are people in this world who want to eat healthy foods, uh, you know, low in sugar and high in nutrients. And there are others who don't. And we we give them those options. And a lot of people opt for those healthier options and as well, they should in my in my view. Mm -hmm, but. Mm -hmm. I don't know what healthier options looks like in the information landscape. And I don't think anybody can actually really agree on that. I think it would be really difficult to, to, and that's, that's a problem for later. We'll, we'll pin that one and come back to it. There's nothing r really f fundamental about what you're saying that, that I'm going dis to disagree with. Like, I mean, so this is, again, we're, we're, uh, I suppose doing a steel man version of the, of the argument and finding some, some common ground here, right? Like in, you know, what it seems like you continue to emphasize is like, well, maybe the issue is overblown or uh, at least some people figure out how to unplug or counteract these sorts of things. And, you know, like over, over time, I mean, we, we can even look at like, you know, how, how McDonald's was, you know, brought like more healthy options on their menu. And now McDonald's is, you know, has a lot of salads and, you know, McDonald's also doesn't do the same kind of business it was doing back in the eighties or how like, you know, Coke and Pepsi, which is about selling more Coke and Pepsi. And now they have all kinds of whatever interesting, healthy choices that they sell, you know, like it, over time, the markets do provide options for different sorts of things in at least this diet sort of world um and you know if you're looking to me to I, I i can't make the moral panic argument that like oh my god you know we're we're doomed you know to the information equivalent of you know a big max and you know coke for you know forever and it's just going to be this horrible horrible thing although i do think it is somewhere in the territory of a kind of addiction that i think is you know, if you and I look back and say like, hey, this whole weird food pyramid and, you know, high carb, low fat thing. And, you know, we look at all the obesity epidemic or all these kind of chronic conditions like type two diabetes and, you know, maybe even Alzheimer's is a part of that sort of thing. And that there's an epidemic of that now, like, it, you know, what what kind of, you know, knock on effects decades down the road are we likely to see from this kind of, you know, hyper addictive information thing. And it's, and it's partly, you know, the, the harm to individuals, either individuals, you might say at a, at a mental and emotional health level, this is sort of where that kind of focus on the, uh, on uh, Instagram and its effect on girls' self-esteem and this kind of social comparison thing that, you know, the, the mind is sort of, developmentally doing a lot of social comparison at the, you know, this kind of prepubescent and kind of teen years sort of thing. And now you have a, a very image-based social network that is like, you know, plugging right into the social comparison thing. And, you know, these, you know, it's causing all these eating disorders, you know, causing whatever it's a factor in lots of eating disorders. That's one way that, you know, the emotional health of, of individual women, especially young, young girls, but then maybe there's another version of it, which is, 
you know, political polarization that's getting amplified or just how easy it is for crazy misinformation and conspiracy theories to spread. I mean, we, you know, 9-11 truthing was kind of the JFK conspiracy theory of the Internet age and the original one. And now it just seems like these things can just get spun up and launched like at ever increasingly frequent, you know, even QAnon has now like fragmented into, you know, other, you know, QAnon itself was a whole psyop by, you know, now you have the, the conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory kind of thing. It's like, it, it's like so quick to create a new one. And it's partly because, hey, this uh, entanglement of people who've like gotten really good at designing memes and virality and algorithms that are really good at deploying it and people whose minds have essentially not really been educated or at least the education that they received was not strong enough or it got undermined, you know, by this, whatever you want to call it, epistemic information landscape that, you know, is, is making people more susceptible to this, to this shit. Well, here's a, here's a counter to that. Okay. I mean, those who believe, and I know I'm supposed to be steel manning. It's fine. I'll, I'll do I'm, steel manning I, you know, here. Look, I'm, I, 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 I acknowledge that um, it is possible to manipulate people yeah. with information oh, yeah. or misinformation. No, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't write an article, right? I'm, I'm literally trying to manipulate and persuade yes. people with my articles because I truly believe what I believe, right? Um, what's interesting about these algorithms is okay. So let's let's go back to, and I, I hesitate to appeal. He he may be horrified that I'm appealing to his work and all this, but there's this fellow named uh -huh. Jordan Hall who came up with this idea of the yeah. blue church, and I would love to put this construct into sure. our show notes because I think it's a really interesting. Um, way of looking at things. There's another version of it from uh, Curtis Yarvin called the, the yeah. cathedral. But the basic idea is that there's a t there throughout the 20th century and slightly before, probably starting in Prussia mm -hmm. in Germany, the Prussian welfare state, there was this idea of, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of mass indoctrination through schooling started with the Prussian welfare state. Um, you know, the idea of political parties capturing uh, people and, and gaining more power by offering goodies, more and more goodies to people. All this was pre-Nazi Germany, but was was established and established well in Prussia. Yep. Um, the Prussian model really spread like wildfire throughout the 20th century. And, and the idea of high modernism or this technocratic state where a certain elite would distribute or disseminate truth mm -hmm or good opinion, whether it's through universities, whether it's through media outlets. And of course, there were only two or three back in the old days, mm -hmm. you know, major radio stations. There were a lot of radio stations and, and maybe that was the, the most decentralized thing, but certainly television stations, there were only three or four. And so Hall postulates this idea of the blue church, which is that there is this sort of hierarchical apparatus of in information distribution. It could have healthy aspects and unhealthy aspects. But one thing is for sure, with the advent of the internet, the blue church apparatus, the distribution and dissemination of right, quote unquote, right opinion, uh, was possible before and is not now. And it was really a technocratic construct 
right? Yeah. So it was easy to to get people to support, you know, going into World War II. It was really easy for the uh, for the FDR to exercise power through radio over in the, during the Great Depression, and he got away with doing all kinds of illiberal things for the sake of, and we still have a mythology to this day. Yeah. With FDR, that the that FDR got us out of the Great Depression with with the New Deal, which is complete horseshit if you actually look at the economic data. Okay. Um, Nevertheless, it was pa- it was a powerful force, and of course, we saw throughout the 20th century in the more fascistic regimes, because these are degrees of authoritarian control that we're talking about, that it was possible to to put whole societies under the sway of these demagogues, whether that be Hitler or Mussolini yeah. or Franco yeah. in Spain. You know, it was this was a widespread yeah. phenomenon, and people were into it. Okay, so it's not like that we not like we've never been in a position to have demagogues that rose to power and steamrolled over these liberal institutions. Well, here we have a situation in which there's a lot of fragmentation, both in the information landscape in terms of what is true, but also in terms of opinion. Mm -hmm. So the doxastic, the normative versus the positive, okay? And both of those things overlap to a very great degree in the information landscape. We're seeing it now as the as the United States government under the Biden administration is literally threatening big tech companies to fight misinformation as if they are a privileged class of elites that has only they only possess what is right and no one else does. Yeah. And we're seeing all sorts of information leaks surrounding the pandemic. We're seeing all sorts of fights over, you know, you know, thousands of doctors signing a signing a declaration saying that they're that they're being they're treated and marginalized against the public health authorities who were doing very contradictory, very fucked up things in a lot of people's minds. Okay. Yeah. So one thing we have to give the postmodernists is the, is the question. And I think it's a very reasonable question. Whose truth, whose rationality, whose right opinion Mm -hmm. and the internet in the first phase that you identified where you felt like you were in control of assembling the kinds of information a good opinion, right opinion on all that stuff that from your, by your lights, that that was easier to do back in those days. And I agree. Um, Eventually it got to where the big tech companies wanted to automate it more. So it was so just easy for them to serve up things that you like. And they developed those algorithms Mm -hmm. in order to do that. And in the process, they made, they made money doing so. And there was a really firm transition around 2015 where Facebook went from virality to uh, understanding you through psychographs. Mm-hmm. And that was apparent. And boy, and then they turned around and went public and made tons of money, mm-hmm. as, as well they should. I don't like, I never liked the, the changes to Facebook. I liked the virality thing more, but that was out of their control. That was what the, the that populism reigned in a sense on Facebook back in those days because virality was what the people chose to share. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, there was sort of uh, vi- virality didn't hold sway. They began to be- to use more sophisticated algorithms in ways that would help people find products and services that they want, but also messages. So there was a little bit of a mix. It was a hybridized. And now they're begging Facebook, for example, is literally begging to be regulated. 
because they can't please anybody. And I kind mm-hmm. of understand Facebook's, Facebook's position in this in this regard. I'm not saying that Facebook is without sin. What I'm saying is they're begging to be regulated for not only for because for public choice reasons, because they stand to lock it in yeah. to the regulatory state. They find some sort of equilibrium and that that means capture, right? They then really dominate the market. That's how that's how you get uh, market dominance is through regulatory capture. This happens in almost every industry. Yes. That's one side of it. And the other side of it is they uh, the Facebook wants to be left alone. And this is the way they can be left alone to just do their jobs and make money because they cannot win from any quarter right now. So that's a that's a really interesting phenomenon too. Please, I see you trying yeah. to jump in. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm hogging well, the I mic. I mean, there's just so much territory that you covered here, right? Like, you know, and you definitely took the leap from steel manning the technological thing to opposing it, but not for technological reasons. For it seems like these more kind of political reasons, like this narrative around this, uh, you know. Broadcast paradigm, this one-to-many paradigm, the mid-20th century demagoguery, the blue church narrative essentially being undermined by um, by essentially the, the internet, right? Like this kind of decentralization. I mean, we can trace it back to whatever AM radio and, you know, the deregulation of certain airwaves back in the 80s and different things like this. Ah, um, uh, right. yes. That's the, uh, uh, yes. Allow me to yeah. interrupt you for a moment. Because the punchline I was where I was yeah. going with that is that what we have now is a situation, though imperfect, when you serve people what they want in filter bubbles, at least you don't have some sort of curricular monolith that's being distributed from a central authority. Right. It might have other kinds of pathologies associated with it, yeah. like people who want to consume misinformation yes. because it's part of their political filter bubble. Yes. But at least... We're not in a situation where some central authority is disseminating and distributing truth, particularly one that has has been threatened by the state and its its yes. apparatus. So, so, of so the gist of what you're saying here as the, the counter argument to for this piece right here that I'm getting is that all right. There may be a lot of bullshit out there or conspiracy theories or mental health issues or whatever that are coming from algorithms and smartphones and social media networks. Okay. But at least this has <laughs> like undermined, perhaps in a permanent basis, the ability for the messaging to sort of go through this kind of unilateral blue church apparatus like the walter cronkite you know mid-20th century this kind of illusion that we sort of had this free press when it was actually sort of like you know this kind of quasi-propagandistic thing that was happening you're like hey at least that's not happening anymore you know truth or about whatever rock on bro or at least this is kind of a insurgency this dismantling that and i and you know we we talked about a lot of this in our sense-making episode, and I felt a lot of this stuff, and I still do in, in some real core way, in the 90s, where it was like, hey, the democratization of information and citizen journalism and, you know, the cypherpunk manifesto and, like, this idea that, like, this chokehold that the two-party system has on just 
the thought space of people is going to get undermined. And we, and maybe we could just say, we did it, right? We built the internet and then we built these fucking algorithms and these social media networks. And like what it did was this, it's like this sledgehammer happened to a thing. And like, on the one hand, I'm like, sure. Okay. We're in a transition period. I mean, maybe you could talk about the ways that, you know, Socrates was having a moral panic about writing or the printing press was creating moral panics around witches or something, you know, in the medieval, you know, late medieval period when the printing press came out. And okay, we're in a moral panic moment where the information is just going crazy, but like at least we're, you know, dismantling the previous thing. I mean, is, isn't this the gist of like what's good about it? Like, hey, you know, maybe we got to, you know, crack a few eggs to make an omelet. That's kind of thing. Well, and I just think, I think at some level, uh, you know, w what is the ideal? There, I, 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 you know, again, postmodernism would say there is no Archimedean point uh, by which we are going to limb the ultimate nature of truth and good opinion. This is very platonic sure. in my mind. And I see this Platonist streak in a lot of these social dilemma types, you know, Tristan Harris and even Daniel Schmachtenberger. And, and I, I, you know, they appeal to ideas like, you know, virtue and, you know, truth and goodness and stuff like that, which who can, who can disagree with that? I certainly can't, but my truth, my goodness to, to sound like a very much like in the, on the green meme of the spiral and spiral dynamics, because of that, of that postmodernism, I think there's a, a healthy aspect that we have to acknowledge, yep. which is, which is, I don't think any, there are, I don't think Platonism is going to work in this context. I think Platonism, and I think Platley, Plato was rightly criticized for being an authoritarian, for stratifying society along the lines of elites yep. and yep. so on, um, you know, on down to the, to the hoi polloi or the, 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 the plebs. And you know, the, the idea that we're going to limb through regulation, the right sort of algorithm for the right sort of brain is very much, you know, redolent of Marx discussing the socialist man, the ideal person to live in the social society, or correspondingly to a puritanical version of that on the right, which is the right person is the studious person that goes to the church and believes in God and Jesus and so on and so forth, and that that should be inculcated from a central authority. Of course, there are values and virtues associated with that point of view too, but we know the danger in thinking along the lines in those Platonist terms. We, we do. So, so to my mind, and maybe I'm pushing too far ahead here, and we can go back if you want. But my, to my mind, whatever it is, it needs to be radically decentralized and competitive so that can, people can opt into systems that comport most closely with their conceptions of the good. And we're going to have to deal with some of the downsides of that. But downsides are inevitable with everything. That's true. Any That's system. True. Yeah. And, you know, there, there is a gravitational pull, I, I notice, in our conversations that it, it inevitably we end up talking about moral and political philosophy because we're talking about social issues. And, and it's unavoidable that we're going to end up there. And at the very least, I would agree with just what you said here, that there's there's sort of a pluralism. I mean, what did, what did uh, I know you don't like Rawls, but it's this sort of idea of like um, re reasonable pluralism, like reasonable people will disagree. We're not going to yeah. have a platonic ideal of like, 
the the moral and the good yeah, are, are fact uni- of right. pluralism. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think you don't have to go to some kind of crazy anything goes kind of postmodern relativism. It's all just arbitrary. Exactly. There's somewhere in the middle, which yeah. I think is a lot of people would kind of go like, yeah, totally. Reasonable people can disagree. And, you know, there are competing mm-hmm. moral theories like utilitarianism and deontology or whatever. And like, OK, cool. And very smart people hold all these different views. Yep. And and there's a meta pluralism yep. yep. there. And and likewise, I think um, I, I want to give credit to the Tristan Harris's and the Daniel Schmachtenberg's of the world for the this this idea that um, that in order to be better citizens in some sense, in order to be better decision makers, even in local communities, which is what I would think is the most important thing, not not at scale, which is what they talk about a lot, that we need to make decisions at scale through democratic means. That is a huge problem of their thesis. And we'll come back to that. Yep. But I can agree with the first part of that is that we're better people when we have better information, we adopt some basic cultural mores, norms, or virtues. Um, what those are, we may have disagreements on. But at the end of the day, I do agree with that. I do think that we're better citizens or we're more engaged in the life of our communities when we have better access to good information rather than pollution or shit or bullshit or conspiracy theories. And just a moment on the note of conspiracy theories, and I want to pass the torch back to you because I see you going there. But one, one quick thing about conspiracy theories, the conspiracy theory trope has become a way to disparage people in their opinions. And this is gets shared. This goes viral. Mm hmm. So, for example, um, it took a lot of work and a lot of comeback for the idea of a lab leak theory, which was a very Occam's razor ordinary, uh, Occam's razor oriented type of theory mm-hmm. in terms of the origins of the virus. Mm-hmm. Right. That there was a problem with the low security lab in Wuhan and some some very dangerous stuff being funded by the U.S. federal government, by the way, mm-hmm. got out. This is now a very competitive theory compared to the natural, excuse me, natural origins theory of the wet market. Yep. Okay. But there was an entire year, and I mean an entire year, where if you breathed about that, you got disappeared from social media. They were, the the powers that be were literally threatening people and taking them off. I know two people mm-hmm. in my circles who, who suggested the lab leak theory, and they were removed from Facebook for a year, got all of their stuff taken away. Okay. Because Facebook had caved to pressure to propagate certain theories over others. That's no longer happening, but it took a breakthrough into the mainstream media before and some slight acquiescence on the part of the powers that be to say, well, maybe this is an issue. And so the blue church came in and busted heads. And it was only because of the decentralized, the remaining decentralized aspects of the web that we even got the alternative lab leak theory back into the public consciousness. And that is absolutely fucking criminal. If you ask yeah. me, well, there's, I'm going to part ways for you in terms of, uh, like if there's a way that maybe you think I'm exaggerating a certain moral panic thing. Maybe I think you are a little bit on this note and maybe we'll just agree to disagree here, but, uh, uh let me just start with the agreement first. I do agree that the narrative around the lab leak theory was sort of like, ah, uh, like mainstream media outlets were like, this is dumb and lame. Uh, this is a conspiracy theory. And, you know, smart people don't talk about the lab leak theory, right? That was definitely a message that I picked up on. 
But I had no problem being exposed either to like me going out and fetching the stuff that I wanted to, but even on social media, like there was plenty of talk about the viability of the lab leak theory. It did not really feel like a massive suppression. Now there may be cases where the information was suppressed, but like if you want to talk about a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, I could easily make the case that like, you know, claims of social media suppressing voices about the lab leak theory are greatly exaggerated because I fucking had no problem interacting with and speaking about lab leak theory in most places on the internet, including social media that I was going on or seeing people that were talking about it. It was not hard to find. I didn't feel like, oh my God, it's been disappeared from my feeds. It was plenty there. When? The whole time. The whole entire time. I, 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 I think I think I think it's I think this is pretty anecdotal. I think if you do a search on Google for the lab leak theory and see if you can find articles from that year, uh, so, try it. I, so <laughs> I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, we're we're dancing around the same issue, like almost from opposite sides. Right. Here's a moment where you're super concerned about the centralized fucking algorithms suppressing things in automatic ways that we can't get access to. And I'm and I'm like, yeah, well, case in point, like if we go back to our primary thesis, right, you're actually kind of clocking in right here in one of these particular cases where, yeah, that is the center. It's not exactly the it's, same thing. One, there's algorithms that do two different things. Yes. I mean, but I'm I'm putting these two things together. I mean, like maybe you think that we we're talking about opposite things, but I think part of the issue is centralized algorithmic control. These things make errors. Right. This is part of the problem. Yes, I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and like maybe yeah. you think over here, this is a huger part of the problem. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're overestimating that one. And like this other one where I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm maybe more like it's a social dilemma. Everyone should watch this. And you're like, yeah, that's an exaggeration. And like, yeah, I mean, I see problems with the social dilemma as well. But like you're kind of like, yeah, this is not that big of a deal. And I'm like, look. We're in a moment where our information landscape is being mediated by for-profit companies with huge amounts of data and incredibly advanced algorithms for a profit. And motive. the government. I, yeah. And the government. Let's not forget that. I'm with you there, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, this okay. is... We, we could talk about <laughs> what the, the fundamental nature of the problem is, and we'll kind of get... You know, we'll kind of get back to that thing, like... You know, the crony capitalism, like, you know, what's the which side are you emphasizing here? Right. Like, but sure. Right. Like, this is also part of the problem. Like, if if this, you know, this story plays out the way maybe it was playing out and, you know, back in the day with radio and TV. OK, there w maybe there will be a way that, the, you know, Google and Facebook and Amazon will, like, join forces with Washington, D.C. and find a way to control the information landscape again like but this is kind of already what has happened with the chinese communist party and their giant their tech it's, giants. it's just a matter of degree the chinese communist party has has done it to the nth degree and we are in the process of we are in the process of witnessing happening happening witnessing it happen in the united states mm -hmm. and it's again, so I agree with you. It's a matter of degree. I think we're halfway to China right now. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, 
so so you know i mean look the um, problem the problem is is like the same thing is a problem on both sides of this argument i think do you see what i'm saying like you're kind of saying like hey let's not create a moral panic that is used to justify more state control over these platforms right but like the argument in its purest form is like hey these platforms are are creating distortions in the information landscape that is having social effects for better or for worse and you're just concerned with yes. one category of these effects and like no you, i'm not i'm concerned with both sure but you but maybe are emphasizing one, those one more vectors one of those vectors in my opinion yeah. deserves greater emphasis okay yeah because at the end of the day i agree with the people who say it's a private company they can do whatever they want with their platform but in that case you can't have um what's her name um senator elizabeth warren writing letters to all the big tech companies saying you better stop the misinformation or else right. you can't have i mean because these letters came out in a flurry you you know look and and um people might not like glenn greenwald i think he's great mm -hmm. but glenn greenwald did a whole hour on the threats that they were making to the big com tech companies in his new show mm -hmm. and 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 he shows the letters and shows the things that they were saying mm -hmm. which is a flagrant violation of of the first amendment it's so it's unconstitutional but nobody has any way of enforcing that aspect of the constitution the courts have ha have had a precedent that said you cannot threaten to regulate someone as a means of controlling speech this was a there's supreme court precedent on this mm -hmm. but they're doing that now so i think that that this and and with with Zuckerberg putting his hands up and saying, come regulate us, come regulate us. Yeah. T tell us what to do in this relationship that the Biden administration has established with the big tech companies where they literally have people talking all the time is a way to use that veiled threat and to get exactly the information they want stopped and exactly the information they want piped through that, those massive systems. So we're no longer really dealing with private companies any, anymore. We're dealing with an unholy alliance between business and government, which almost never turns out well. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this is this is where one place I was hoping we were going, and I'm going to do my steel man version of this, which I'm, which I'm with you. Okay. I mean, this is a classic argument from, you might say, like free market libertarian side of uh, uh, regulatory capture, cronyism in capitalism, mm -hmm. and, right. uh, you know, th this idea that, like, if Facebook gets its way, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Like I've, I've actually, you know, I, I Googled people who are like upset or were criticizing the social dilemma and actually found people out there that are like, hey, I'm over here trying to build an alternative to Facebook that doesn't have the problems that Facebook has. But if you use this moral panic to justify the state regulation, then what will happen is. I will be regulated out of existence through some kind of onerous level of things yep. that like Mark Zuckerberg got to give Congress input on, but I didn't. So in other words, you're undermining the ability of the market to actually create alternatives and corrections to Facebook by essentially allowing Facebook. Correct. To, there's a way that this whole thing sort of appears like Kabuki. You know, I get that uh, Kristen Haugens or whatever her name is. 
Haugen's the 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 whistleblower the the the, the, whist, the, the quote unquote whistleblower which I she's a what yeah. it, what it, whatever uh, yeah, she is ahead. like I mean I could I could actually imagine you know the plant maybe she's a plant yeah maybe this whole this is like look you know let her go do the thing because then you know they're gonna dial us up I mean you know on the New York Times podcast the the Daily oftentimes uh, Facebook will actually buy ad spots that say. You know, regulations are from internet regulations from 1995. That's oh, ancient. I've seen them. Like, let's get in there and like regulate us. We're here. Facebook's is here. Like, we're pro regulate the internet, right? But like, the 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 not so subtle to libertarians like can can see through this is is like, hey, what's going to happen is you're going to undermine people's ability to um to essentially compete and create alternatives, which I think is part of the solution that we need. The other thing, though, is it, um, it this is slightly different point, but it kind of undermines, I would say, like the the individual, right? Like when I think of like what Nir Eyal does when he, you know, creates one book called Hooked and another one called Indistractable is like you know, he, he spoke out against the social dilemma as well. He's like, look, people need to be educated and they, they need to learn how to discern things. Right. And if we. If we create the problem with moral panic and narratives is that it feeds into a victimization mentality and it creates mm -hmm. a sense of learned helplessness. Yeah. And if you kind of like if you use Netflix and fucking social media algorithms to implant this idea that like you're a helpless victim and you're a fucking puppet of Mark Zuckerberg's and the only people that can save you is like Washington, D.C. Like this, this is actually a misuse of the fucking thing that. It's it's the the irony is just ridiculous at this point, yeah. right? Like it's it's like they're using this hyperbolic thing to create a really hooky thing that goes right into the social media algorithms that they're criticizing that implants an idea into people's minds that I'm helpless, I cannot resist. And you would be handing, you would be handing central authorities levers of control that no. Nobody with guns in jails should possess. Yeah. If you regulate social media and have regulators on site to determine what's true and what's not, that is the end of the Republic. And I, and I, and look, and, and so when I hear Tristan Harris sing so glowingly about the beautiful nature of, un, of democracy uncorrupted by social media influence, first I say bullshit. And then I say, watch out. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. under no, there is no way, there is no way that, and, and he's implying that what he wants is, is being able to get, give regulators access to the algorithms as if these regulators were angels. I'm sure he fancies himself a, an angel, but he is not. Mm-hmm. And he better believe that once he dies or is shunted aside by someone who's far more sociopathic, they're going to be happy to take those reins. Yeah. Mission control, uh, the Edward Bernays sitting in front of the, of a mission control for all of the mines in America. Even if, even if you're just slightly right on that power. And I think they are, they are there. That is a terrible, terrible way to look at it. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. So, I, I don't want to go too much further down the the critique of the solutions that you and I kind of are paranoid about, because at least one place where I think 
in this conversation so far, you and I are very much aligned with is like to the degree that these algorithmic platforms are a problem. One of the ways that they are a problem is that they can be used to like actually amplify a moral panic about themselves to secure some kind of regulatory capture, which kind of creates a control central control room that will sort of undermine the ability of the the free and open internet and the free and open market to actually provide alternatives. Yes. And cool. We're there. You know, I can't impugn Tristan or Schmachtenberger as good or bad. I, I like their diagnosis to some degree. I follow them most of the way there. It's when the solution becomes this kind of like daddy state solution as though that's going to improve or rather than make it worse. The very problem they're talking about making it much worse, I think is, something that seems lost on them at moments, at least given the way that they talk about it. Some moments I'll listen to Daniel and go like, Oh, I think he is aware potentially that this could get worse if it goes a particular direction that you and I are afraid of. But like, let's talk about what, where would we want it to go? Like, let's, let's get away from criticizing them and go like, Hey, whether we're talking about democracy or, you know, our ideal polycentric, yeah, because I don't thing. want to preserve democracy. I think it sucks. Sure, sure. But let's like <laughs> let's taboo that word, right? I mean, there's a way that that word gets, and we can have a whole episode about this. It's just sort of like it's become like a, a substitute word for good or something like this. Like, oh, democracy is equals good, good, yeah, right. Like, but let's let's get rid of that democracy word for a second here and talk about like, at least for me, Max, I do. Like this, I mean, part of my decentralist idealism to the degree I am ideological about that Mm -hmm. is I do care about people having sovereignty over themselves, their bodies and their homes and being able to act fairly unconstrained in markets and people to be able to kind of like learn and grow and develop their minds in a way that's where they can pursue. I mean, this is where science comes from in its purest ideal form, right? This idea that like, don't just accept what the church says is true. Go see for yourself. Like the whole entire paradigm of, of experimenting and creating testable hypotheses. And like this idea of like the ever expanding knowledge base of humanity and like our convergence towards the truth and all of these kinds of things. I do think there are social constructs that support this better than other ones of course. and it, it, there isn't a there isn't a kind of like blank slate version of an institution that sort of is sort of like no no this is just like the 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 empty you know remember the matrix the construct it's just this blank page right it's like there isn't like whatever the social construct is it's going to have some amount of structure to it and bias to it we're not going to be able to get away from it so what's the one that we would advocate for that potentially avoids some of the worst of all of this This is this is the big thing this is this is a great question i'm glad you brought it up um i may take us for a moment into a territory that you we're 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 beyond halfway point now so hopefully this territory is fair game but i i truly believe and i and i have believed ever since uh, for a long time but certainly ever since the idea of uh you know of I, i remember the cambridge analytica so-called scare, right? This is really right. what mm-hmm. made people because this was came out of the election of Trump, Trump and people wanted to blame something for the rise of Trump and 
you know, social media was was a good scapegoat. And it certainly contributed to Trump's election, no doubt about it. Yep. And we can see this happening elsewhere. But uh, demagogues have been with us for a long time, way before the Internet. Yep. Uh, so, again, my problem with this is the, the apotheosis or apotheosizing of democracy, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if you believe that the blurring together of, let's say, 180, 190 million people vote in any given presidential election, um, which is about as much in America as you're going to get to turn out to the polls, mm-hmm. it, that 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 is somehow um and 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 bitterly divided by the way right which perhaps mm-hmm. uh, the folks who are advocating these social dilemma type views want us to be less divided but mm-hmm. I, I i i think acknowledging the fact of pluralism that rawlsian idea that you're talking about that rawlsian liberal idea the fact of pluralism is like hey you know the idea of decision making at scale for 300 million, 350 million people is problematic in and of itself. It's, it was sustainable as a social construction back in the 20th century, Mm -hmm. but part of the subtlety of the Jordan Hall thesis in the blue church is it's no longer sustainable. There are complexity issues with having unitary decisions for that many people over that great swath of territory, particularly with complex complexity uh, complex emergent systems as they are. So instead, we, you know, if as if you're a, a decentralist, yeah. you want to say, okay, not only should there be alternatives at this level of description, namely social media, so that people can find different ways to indulge their particular piece of the pluralistic landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Through social media. But there also also should be something other than democratic institutions that supposedly aggregate preferences at scale where you have a difference of, you know, a radical difference in, in not just two camps, but many camps because democracy blurs things together in a bipartisan system. That makes no fucking sense. It's like waking up. I I use this metaphor all the time, waking up, turning on your phone and you have two apps, the red app and the blue app. Yeah. That's terrible. I'd, I'd rather look at my iPhone well, the way it is. you could say that's an artifact of the U.S. version of the of democratic systems, and we could argue that the Westminster system doesn't have exactly that problem. Yeah, perhaps to a lesser degree, but we're seeing this in Britain right now. We're seeing we're seeing this kind of polarization yep. in Britain with Brexit. They blame social media for the yep. success of Brexit, just like they did social media for Trump. And perhaps, yes, it was a great factor, but it's like, but the... The presumption is, oh, something went desperately wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with the with the Brits pulling out of the European Union. It was fraught, is super problematic, you know. You could say it was a democratic choice if you want. It's, that's that's right. <laughs> so it, it's like it, it's it's like only the democracy I like is is the subtext in a lot of these conversations. And what I would say is, we got to we got to just have moral jurisdictions. We got to have a uh, polycentricity polyarchy a state of affairs that's radically decentralized where people can opt into their percept you know different conceptions of the good and if your system sucks it won't be sustainable people will leave it but we don't have a system like that right now we are locked into a monolith yep. and so yep. the very idea that we need to shore up democracy with better social media is hugely problematic because again democracy sucks <laughs> yep 
Okay. So let I do want to kind of part from the democracy sucks train. I mean, with just kind of under certain conceptions, I agree with you. But I, you know, there's a few points that you made, and I want to get to what does our ideal look like. And I'm with you on the polycentricity and polyarchy as as gestures towards that. And we probably should have an episode where we go full hog into like imagining what the future civil planetary level civilization would look like if if we kind of had our way or something. I like love this. it. I'm I'm, um, I'm going to hold you to that. Be fun. Michael Porcelli. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, I'm I'm down. I'm down. Um, but. But I do think there is a there is a, a a moment of fear that I have. Like if I look at historical precedent, like you said, we are we're always going to have demagogues, and I do think when we change the kind of information landscape, or you might say, you know, we it's a media studies idea when you when you change the mediums, right? Like which we did in the early twentieth century, we had radio and film, right? And then we also had you know Bernays and his propaganda and psychology, and like the the. The thing that immediately popped out of that was like fucking like, you know, triumph of the will. Lenny Reifenstahl's mm-hmm. fucking, you know, propaganda Nazi film and Goebbels adapting Bernays' ideas yep. and putting Hitler on like camera and like on radio and and like essentially like, whoa, this was as in a way just overwhelming to the minds of the average German citizen at the time because nobody had any experience with something like that before it was compelling right like yeah. so some there is some fear i have of like and, and maybe maybe the ccp has already succeeded at doing this in, in terms of capturing their tech platforms but like i am a little afraid that something like this will happen in the west that like like the the worst of the bad actors will like sort of see the matrix of this new medium and then just go. Oh God! And like that, some demagogue that, will take over. Not that they will. They they are seeing it. They are embracing it. They are. Yeah. There is yeah. a race to capture the social media companies on the part of government. I don't know what you call that, and I'm interested. And if any listener knows, what is the re- reverse of regulatory capture? Right. Regulatory capture is when when corporations control somehow. Um. You know. Uh, capture the regulators yeah. and the regulators sort of do their bidding and there's this sort of unholy alliance but there's a reverse version of that which is we're going to the government is going to intercede into economic life or uh the lives of corporations to the degree that they are able to control those corporations behaviors uh that used to be called corporatism or fascism <laughs> but um right but right. uh but yeah, yeah. that's that's State happening and nobody markets. wants to call themselves yeah. a fascist but that's happening right now the things that people are yeah. willing to do in the name of suppressing misinformation is deeply problematic while we acknowledge that misinformation is there and we are all vulnerable yeah. to it to varying degrees. So let's let's linger on that for a moment so so we can talk about how do we inoculate ourselves personally from uh, misinformation, uh, media bias, yeah. weird shit like that. How do we, how do we, um, and this is what I really appreciate about the, the Schmachtenbergers of the world, for example. Yeah. Is he's asking yeah. those questions on a personal level too, not just on a systemic level. Um, yes. I have, I have recommended in an article, I've just written a way to do that in a systems kind of way, which, um, I can put mm-hmm. in the show notes and, and, and you've read that article. Um, and in that I, I describe a system with 10 basic things that need to be covered that allow sort of a crowd 
market for evaluating claims based on evidentiary standards of falsification and so on. Okay. I'll, yep. I'll put that in the show notes, but, but let's assume that that, that doesn't get built or doesn't get built in time. Mm-hmm. What, what can each of us do to inoculate ourselves from the craziest of the crazy stuff like QAnon yep. or the craziest of the crazy stuff coming from on high, like, uh, you know, whatever you disagree with coming out of the, the authorities right now, I, I hesitate to mention anything because yep. that, they're going to say, look, listen to him. He's a, I don't agree with that. I, I think it's, for example, crazy <laughs> to mandate people to get uh, a novel vaccine. I'm not anti-vaxxer, but I think it's crazy to, to mandate people to get a novel vaccine after they've already had coronavirus and they have natural immunity. They have durable immunity from, from that. There's no point in them taking the vaccine. It seems like this is more collusion between state and corporations, uh, but mm-hmm. otherwise it's all done in the name of public health. Yep. I am I am I a conspiracy theorist? Am I critical thinker? What what is it? I don't know. But I don't you know. So let's not get into the substance of it. Let's talk about what it means to be a critical thinker. Yep. I think what you're saying is I just want to say, like, the solutions on both sides, the systemic side collective, which I hope we get to touch in a little bit before we're done today even though we're going to bookmark that major part of that conversation for the future, like what's the best or an improved version mm-hmm. systemically and the individual side, which is like, what do we do as people or as let's just say small groups of friends, like, Hey, you and me, you know, we're talking yeah. about it, right? Like you and your loved ones or you and the people that, you know, like, what can you do? And I think that's also important. So let's dwell on this for a mm-hmm. moment, right? Like I do think some of these real basic things that people have tried, like, Take social media apps off your phones or close down your social media accounts. Some people do that. And I think that's a healthy version if you want to do that. Or make your screen black and white instead of color. I've seen people that do this sort of thing. Or huh? some people do things like... Wait, 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 take... Tell me about that for a second. What is that? Yeah, you can just make your screen black and white the purpose instead of, of color. What? And it's it's just less compelling. Oh, okay. Okay. So it makes it less it addicting makes you or like something? less addic- addicting to your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, there's definitely tools like... You know, some of the some of the people that kind of came out against the social media, uh, the social dilemma documentary were like were kind of like these personal growth, like mind hacker people like, look, you can get browser extensions that are like eliminate your like when I click on Facebook on my browser and I have no news feed. There is no news feed. It's great. Uh, or, or like an app that's a freedom and it just can block a whole category of websites or. You can use, you know, this was a, this was actually an early success of Tristan Harris, like his time well spent initiative got Apple to put in like all this screen time data. Look at what, what, where your time is actually kind of going, right? Like you can create these. So you can kind of create a little like metrics. So this is a little bit like handling the addictive side, but if you want to talk about the epistemic side, the like pursuing critical thinking and knowledge, I'm like, I think there's a number of different things too, which is, uh, you know, you can, you know, if you haven't been exposed to the rationality community online, which they have meetups and they have a, a website called less wrong. And they, they have very, very strong social norms around, you know, what makes a good post or what makes for a really good interaction. And the truth, there's a systemic thing also like the way that the comment system works is way less the way that it works on, you know, I remember early forums like on online. It could be like, oh, here's a flame war breaking out. I could I could get addicted to it, but then I could also be like, oh, uh, you know, like Slashdot had a nice karma system where the the flame wars would essentially disappear and you wouldn't have to see them. And I'd be like, oh, cool. So like, 
you know, bad comments getting downvoted because there's a community standard around like being nice or having good epistemic hygiene or steel manning the position or not straw manning the person or whatever, like, or, you know, these different ways of doing good rational discourse. You can, you can actually find communities who have built their own platforms that are off of the mainstream social media. I actually think the quality of the discussion on Reddit is way better. It's way less, um, it's way less polarizing and it's way more interesting and like the quality of the conversation is better. So you can choose certain platforms over other platforms that are built, not just to sell, you know, billions of dollars worth of ads. You know, that's another way of doing it. Or you could do something like educate yourself. Like Steven Pinker just came out with his new book called rationality, which is probably at this point, one of the better introductions. I mean, Elias Yudkowsky has this whole sequences on, on less wrong you know, which are, you know, it's like a thousand page book or something, but you know, Pinker is a, is a, is a better writer in my opinion, and is a more elegant and compact introduction to rationality. And his book is really great. So like, these are the kinds of things you could do as an individual. Like you should understand what is parabolistic reasoning and Bayesianism or what are logical fallacies? What are the cognitive biases and understand the research that's behind yeah. how your mind will go wrong so you can at least catch yourself in well the and you know right now we're seeing um again this this pushback against uh against uh kahneman and and the the behavioral economists about some of these studies or behavioral psychologists about uh about cognitive mm-hmm. biases some of that literature is being is being attacked right now yeah and, and 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 yep, so yep. i i I'm, I'm not saying that these aren't good heuristics like uh, availability bias is one that I appealed to earlier and, um, confirmation bias, confirmation. I, I think there's yep. a lot to these, um, just because we, you know, somebody did a study defense that contradict them. Um, you know, so I don't think the, I think the jury is still out on some of these, but I think they're great guidelines to, to, to try to find the fight top, the major ones to avoid. And, and I agree also with getting in with a rationality community, looking at things that they say, um, but here's a here's a here's a little bit of pushback on that, and it's not to say that that this is um, this is a way of checking my priors because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I love all these guys, everything you just mentioned. Uh, yep. Brian yep. Kaplan's myth is rational voter. I can't wait to get my hands on the Pinker book. Yep. There's some really good stuff out there, but the problem is that it is tailored. All of that stuff is tailored to a cognitive elite. Okay. You're not likely to see people either interested in or capable of consuming this information if they're under a certain IQ. And people under a certain IQ vote. That sounds elitist as hell, but I think it's mm-hmm. something we have to grapple with. Um, so trying to determine some heuristics for uh, for people to use their critical thinking, even if they don't have an IQ of 130, 150, right? Um, that's going to be important. And I think it's going to be important to figure out community mechanisms because it's not, you know, so now I'm switching to the systemic level, the collective, there's going to be, have to be mechanisms for helping other people help other people check their shit besides blaming, shaming, and otherwise, which is what we see now, or just like animus and disagreement. Um, There's got to be development of new systems that allow us to, to signal boost the best of what we have, even if the best is wrong, yep. but it's thoughtful or it's reflective or it's, you know, something I'll give you an example. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm on this show, I'm not going to come down either way, 
but there's a whole whole big disagreement right now among very smart people. We're talking super high IQ people and the hoi polloi as well about the effectiveness and safety of ivermectin. Ivermectin being an anti-parasitic yep. drug that has been used around the world for river blindness and other types of parasites that you would find in the developing world. It's generally considered yep. safe and it won it's people who developed it won the Nobel Prize. Yep. That being said, a lot of people started a lot of practitioners uh, physicians started throwing things up against the wall early in the pandemic to see what would stick. And in vitro, right, in vitro, I think is uh, in, in the test tube and in vivo, they right. came to discover that ivermectin was, was effective in early treatment against COVID. It slows the replication process of, and it has many different mechanisms yep. of action. That's the claim on the part of the people who agree that ivermectin works. Yep. Now, there are people who found problems with some of the studies that came out around it Right. In terms of what they call are calling fraud or uh, terrible, you know, ways of putting together the information or just bad studies. But the studies are mounting and they tend to be small scale studies because there's no money behind it. So there's this big debate about ivermectin. And there was a young woman who had Julia Galef in in copy on Twitter. I guess you'd call it copy referred to Julia Galef. And she wrote an article for Vox saying that there is no there is no evidence to support the idea that ivermectin works. And she, you're saying Julia wrote that? This, or this other, other woman. woman wrote it? Uh, her name escapes me, uh-huh. but I, uh, we can try to put that in show notes as well if you want to mark that. Um, <clears throat> but the idea was uh, she came to the conclusion through Bayesian reasoning, through Julia Galef's, you know, heuristic. And I'm, I'm, it's not it's yeah. Bayes' heuristic. It's not Julia's. But Julia is yeah. the foremost person to, to teach people how to think this way. And I think it's very healthy. But what she did was to take meta-analyses and derive a Bayesian conclusion of sort of netting out all of these studies in her mind yep. in order to come to the conclusion that we we don't have strong enough evidence to we don't have that that ever ivermectin uh, is doesn't work was her conclusion and i would say that bayesian reasoning would lead us to the conclusion first that it's inconclusive <laughs> okay just because you found a bunch of studies that are sure. wrong or taken out of the results doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. And a couple of the studies, a, mi- a tiny minority of the studies found that ivermectin didn't work. Um, but but so, but look, I'm acknowledging the Bayesian reasoning is good here, but it's not the only reasoning. The yep. other piece of reasoning here is that you have thousands of doctors around the world who are using it successfully, and who are finding that in their practice, and that requires local knowledge. Local knowledge is very different from Bayesian reasoning. And if you can aggregate local knowledge, then you can use Bayesian reasoning to determine whether or not that is – you can do a better job of determining whether or not the meta-analyses are right or not. Okay, So that's what they're trying yeah. to do right now. But it's – so there's almost like a conflict between doctors who are like, I've treated 2,000 uh, – 6,000 patients. There's this guy named Brian Tyson who's treated 6,000 patients – successfully only lost three and there's an army of other doctors who said they've done it using both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and they're saying there there's a very strong signal here for early treatment maybe they're wrong maybe they're wrong but i don't think you know cursory non-practitioners of meta-analysis are doing anything but looking at the map and not the territory and that is problematic so there's a even misuse of bayesianism involved i think there's a lot in what you said, and I don't want to go into the ivermectin debate and 
I do want to get back into like what's good and we have we're limited on our time here. So I do want to push back a little bit. I think you said some misleading things about Bayesian reasoning, like anything that it, Bayesianism is just about your subjective probability around, around your own beliefs. Exactly. Right. It's like a, so whatever you're saying, like, Oh, this other thing called local, whatever is different than Bayesian reasoning. It's, it's not And Bayesian reason can expand and include all those things. It's just whatever weightings you're putting on everything just in the aggregate is Bayesian reasoning. So I don't think you're, I mean, you're just, you're just, you're just saying I would count things no, 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 differently. No, 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 than no, no. This I, I'm sorry. I misspoke then. What I'm saying yeah, is that yeah. this woman used a particular application of Bayesian reasoning with meta-analysis of very few right. scattering. She of counted studies. some things and not other things, and you would have counted more things. In either case, it's it's Bayesian. It's the application. And I'm of saying Bayesian what doctors have who reason. swear by this stuff is local knowledge, and yes, they're using Bayesian reasoning as well in their own particular yeah. camps. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so that was just a, there's a little a little technical yeah. point there, and you know, just to kind of claw our way back to like, okay, what individuals can do for themselves is to learn about this shit and to find people who know about this stuff and educate themselves about it. And I do get what you said at the beginning of your last point was, hey, like this is sort of an elite thing. And like, how do we get that out there to like lower IQ people? And this is like a way bigger conversation. I think there's some reach. Like if you go on like uh, education, YouTube, edutubers, like CGP Greg or Curse Gazette, I think there's a lot of really cool like nutshell philosophy stuff that will teach in like really cool multimedia ways, some of the same shit that's over in like in the Steven Pinker yeah. book or the, you know, Eliezer Yukowski's giant blog posts or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Like go on YouTube and learn those things too. Cause you can actually kind of start grokking it. But like the, the longer term solution here becomes more systemic, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like what are the ways that the education system is just failing to teach people this shit or, you know, what are the, what are the ways that people's brains developmentally are not capable of it because of whatever malnutrition, right? Like they're not like their brains develop. And if they're like malnourished at a certain stage of growth, like maybe they're going to, they're going to stay kind of plateaued at a lower IQ level, but that's sort of like solving global nutrition problems. Right. I mean, so like this is the, the, the giant systemic issues are outside the scope of our talk for today. But, but I do want to say something like if we just, bracket away this kind of regulatory capture or state capture of mm -hmm. social media platforms as like a bad version of the solution. A good version of the systemic solution would be, at least in my mind, some of the stuff that we talked about in our sense-making thing, some of the stuff that you talked about in your article. Like, how do we build, um, or what is it, Rausch that did uh, a constitution mm -hmm. of knowledge, right? Kind of, He's actually sort of arguing, in a way, a defense of the blue church, which you might not yeah. like, but... At least in and, and theory, what he's talking about. It, dude, dude's one of my heroes. I mean, his his first book, uh, Kindly yeah. Inquisitors, which was about the first wave of wokeism in the 90s, was an absolute yeah. just killer book. It needs to be read by everyone, particularly today. Um, I haven't read The Constitution yeah. of Knowledge, but I have heard that he's, he's basically saying that we once had a, a blue church and that it was largely right and that you know, now we're so fragmented that uh, people are willing to believe anything and that that, that level of credulity has ca is causing social fracturing and so on. I, yeah, I, I love Roush. He, he actually signed uh, the gay marriage book for, for my mom and Trish, uh, her, her wife. Mm -hmm. 
um, which they have at this at this time and sent it to them. And I was delighted with that. I love him. I love his brain. I think he's an amazing guy. And I, I consider him a friend because uh, he, he knows who I am. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't largely disagree with this concept of whether you're saying he's de- defending you know, if if he's defending the current institutions, which are kind of experiencing sort of a, a decline and a decay, either actual decay or for surely mistrust by the populace, it's not like just deleting all of that and going like, well, fuck it. We're just back to, you know, whatever medieval, you know, mysticism and every dark ages. I mean, maybe we will go into a dark age, but I do think we can create norms of discourse, blockchains uh education dissemination like or like habits of using your your social media or not using it or your smartphone or not using it and you know we we often get into an, an argument about wikipedia and whether its norms are better or worse and that's a debate for another day but like i can imagine like a, a better version of wikipedia that does even a better job at truth seeking or whatever betting markets on knowledge or some of the things you covered in your um, you know, reputation systems or ways of actually kind of like uh, open science and all these innovations of like undermining or providing an alternative that is actually superior to the current, whatever you want to call this, blue church institution, peer review journal yeah. thing, and all of the ways it's become corrupted by its own incentives. Well, I don't, I don't personally want to give up and just go like, well, fuck it. We're just going to go into little echo chambers of epistemic islands and stuff. I've been like, no, 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 we can make a thing that is better than that. That is more globally coherent. You know, I think we should try to figure out how to do that without putting it in the hands of like a Mark Zuckerberg or Washington DC. Or it's or a thousand Mark Zuckerbergs. Party. I mean, that's what I like. Sure. You know, I mean, I just, I don't think we're, but this is the protocol layer, right? This is the protocol yeah. layer that at least we're able to like, we're not, Ending up in incommensurate, like I think bubbles. the metaphor of the church gets it exactly right, right? And and I, I'm a, I think about Galileo in front of the Inquisition, um, and I just think you know whatever we want to say about the church apparatus, I would like to see a thousand, a, a, a thousand different churches yeah. and a thousand different Galileos, and I would want to see them all compete, and I want to see them all talk to each other. Even if they disagree, and those discourse norms you're talking about, yes. we need to have those too. Yes. You you just For were sure. singing my song in that last minute and a half of, of, of monologue there, so much so that I want to give you credit, because we've been doing a lot of back and forth and wrangling today on these issues. Yeah. But that is exactly the vision I think we need to unpack. I don't think that there is perfectionism. I don't think there's going back to shoring up the blue church as apparently um, Jonathan Rauch would have us do in the constitution of knowledge. I think what we need to move towards is a situation where we experiment with different uh, meta epistemic systems, if you like. I just came up with that term, but it's like an, an epistemic system uh, or a meta epistemic system is one that is allows multiple parties with different epistemic points of view to, to attempt to reconcile in the direction of something resembling truth. Of course, we can't step outside of our subjectivities, nor can we step outside of these systems to verify in, to any appreciable degree uh, this some overarching truth, but we can, I think, do it in an asymptotic way, right? Getting closer and closer, closer yes. to 
to, to something yes. resembling truth through evidentiary standards, uh, falsification, that sort of stuff. Yes. And so I'm, I'm, and, and in that way, this implicit push to regulation, uh, you know, of course, I won't go back into that, but, you know, that bothers me. Uh, the centralization aspect, I think it really bothers me. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I want to agree or express some agreement with the, the, the Rawlsian fact of pluralism. The idea that mm-hmm. attempting to in some way adjudicate or reconcile different conceptions of the good as well as different conceptions of truth mm-hmm. can help us get to some greater facets, uh, holistic, more holistic truth that has different facets. Yes. Because I think sometimes we want to be so narrow in our assessments of what constitutes truth or knowledge that we forget that these could be holistic uh, pieces of a more holistic or wider truth that's out there. Yes. Um, so trying to develop new systems that give us more of the bigger picture are interesting to me mm-hmm. and develop systems that make us better critical thinkers because it disciplines us through incentives or or through reputation or whatever. Yep. Yep. So I'm with you. It feels like we're kind of moving into closing thoughts and I want to reflect on the entire sequence here and theme and then, uh, you know, maybe kind of say some hope for the future and a place where I think we landed, which I really like. So looking back, you know, this past few minutes of talking about like what the ideal could be like, mm-hmm. right? Your, your, your meta epistemics or, you know, what is a, you know, a constitution of knowledge that's not regressing to an old blue church, but it's moving forward to a new version or these things that I talked about, like open science that are potentially gestures in that direction. Awesome. Right. But one thing I think I'm pretty fucking clear about, and I'm not sure if you are or not, but like, I don't think massive AI algorithms that are optimized for selling ads are actually a good construct for truth seeking. I don't think they work really well for truth seeking. And I think there are other platforms and other, like, I mean, I've pointed out a few of them, Wikipedia, Less Wrong, Reddit, different systems that have different incentives baked into the the architecture of those systems that actually promote healthier discourse than the ones that we get out of these giant platforms that we're currently plugged into. And I, I personally am excited about a future where there's more interaction going, like maybe more of that pre-2008 internet, right? Like, hey, let's get back to finding different places to have discourse. And, it's, and it is happening. Like some people have like branched off and gone to Telegram or branched off and gone to Signal. And I honestly don't think Telegram or Signal like are of as high quality as some of these good like discourse systems, but at least those things are not infected with ad-driven AIs, right? They're sort of like, you're just part of a group chat, right? <laughs> like and people are posting shit. I mean, they're posting shit that they're getting from other algorithms, but like there, there's, there's alternatives. So that, that comment as to like whether these platforms are optimizing for truth i'm, I'm gonna just say like i don't think they are now and i think we could do better if what we care about is truth and alternatives for that are they are absolutely not and we should optimizing do more. for truth they're optimizing yeah. to cater to people's whims in a moment and yes. And, yes. and 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 to provide that for for basically free through advertiser driven dollars you know it's just yeah. like tv and in, in you know 1985 we had to watch a bunch of yeah. A bunch of garbage uh, in order to get to Dallas right. or Dynasty, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but 
you know, I, I agree with you. I think, and I agree with uh, Tristan Harris uh, in that regard, although I think he does make it enormously hyperbolic. I think the, the problem with taking the position of pointing out that it doesn't always track truth to, to be in these systems yeah. is to minimize or downplay the enormous value that these systems have had. I am literally sitting here talking yeah. today and have you as a friend because of Facebook. Totally. Yes. And I cherish your friendship a lot more and have gained a lot of knowledge from you. That then that is bigger than any false belief I might have come by. And I think the tendency to minimize or create an availability heuristic around certain problems of social media of this variety tells us that, yeah, we probably should have uh, in, enter into other incentive systems that have a stronger pull than Facebook. You know, maybe maybe yep. systems that reward us for looking into certain kind. I don't know what it is, um, but yeah, yeah. But that's that that experimentation at the at the level of meta level of description is going to give give us much more than trying to architect yes. the perfect system through through central regulation. And right. I right. would say that um, the the we can't forget that even though this is a capitalist you know, ad-driven system that gives people more of what they want, whether it's healthy or not, like sugar, is is still on net good. And we prove that by virtue of the fact that people choose it. Yeah. And you have to explain to people that that they are somehow benighted. A billion some people, you have to explain to them that they're benighted if they're on Facebook. And I don't think either Tristan Harris or anybody else can make that case. Yep. So where where we're leaving off here is on a note of resonance about a lot of things. And I want to just say the things that I feel the most strongly about here at the end in a positive direction. What I love is we don't give up and go like, well, fuck it. It's just all relative and just whatever the fuck's going to happen is going to happen. And just kind of a like a postmodern sort of cynicism, right? We believe we can. We we we, we criticize yeah, by creating. We can do better. We should do better. And like we can see both the good and the bad of the current systems, the way they're constituted. We can see some of the problems with some of the solutions that are being proposed. Some of the irony in terms of like how they're used. Um, they're using the very thing they're criticizing to kind of you know hype up a a particular kind of solution set that we disagree with. But it's not like we believe that like, oh, well, fuck it. We can't do anything about this, right? We do believe we can do something about it. And pointing towards different alternatives at the system level and at the individual level, like better platforms, better forms of discourse, better mental habits, you know, education, learning, and so forth. We we can do better. And and I and I and I like that we both believe that we we can and we probably should, right? I I I I, and we're not giving up. Like so, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, to the degree we ag agree that there is a problem here with fragmentation of epistemics, we do believe we can improve that in perhaps a different way than most people are thinking. Like instead of looking to, you know, Congress to do something, you know, about it, what do we do about it as as a community of, you know? free citizens as free as we are right on absolutely uh, i i can can only 
uh, agree with that assessment and so much appreciate your taking the time again today and everyone who got this far in the podcast for listening. I am so delighted with this. You will see Michael and I mix it up from time to time. This was one of those episodes, but I had a great time in any case. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Social Evolution Podcast.